All right, everybody, are you ready? Yeah. All right, come on, somebody. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. All right, I'm from uh, the Boogie Down Bronx. Right. Pastor Fernando and Elvia Cabrera, we're so excited to be here. And man, it's an honor, honor, a truly honor to introduce Pastor Miles. He really tore it up. Yeah. Tore it up. Yeah. Listen, I, 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 live, I live in New York City. I'm also a council member, so I live in two worlds. And I have never, ever heard a message where really he addressed every single issue. And I believe that today, this great man of God is going to zone in and those, those, he's going to go in deeper. So get ready to receive. But before we do that, I've been asked that if you have a jacket, if you have a book right next to a seat, if you could just if you could just raise your hand and let us know if there's an available seat. We're gonna do the Christian thing right now. Come on, somebody. All right, those who are sitting in the back, stand in the back. If you wanna see, we have the seats ready because once we get started, we don't want uh, Pastor John Gray part two saying, you know, you're walking, you're walking by, all right? So that's all good. So ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm welcome to the man that pastors a tremendous in this uh, church in San Diego, come on, and making history. Does anybody want to have a seat? I saw you raise your hand when no one sat in the seats. How about this? How about everybody squeeze in so the empty seats will be on the outside? Just squeeze in. There we go. There we go. So people can sit down. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Okay, excuse that way. Uh, it is 3-12. There's two seats here. Anybody want to see? It's 3:12. This is supposed to start at 3:15, but I'm gonna start now, so it's gonna go to 4:15. All right. One hour. Right? One hour and two minutes. I'm all about being on time. Uh, let me pray for us, Lord. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this journey. Uh, thank you for this conference. Uh, this is life changing. It's life changing for me. And thank you for all the good that's going to come out of the more we can ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What I am going to do is I'm going to teach you um, some, some more content for half an hour or 40 minutes or so. And then I think Bishop George is going to be the only one joining me. And then we'll ask, answer questions or whatever you want to ask. ask. Amen? amen? Love questions. Um, so let's, let's do, the, do the first slide. Um, this is the book. Um, that comes out September 11th, um, and on September, which is a Tuesday, and you can pre-order it now, but you won't get it till the first week of September. And by the way, if you want to, I'm going to put some slides up, so if you have a phone, there'll be a lot of content you want to take pictures of, you won't be able to write fast enough, but we don't want to wait for you to have to write it all, so if you want to take pictures, there'll be some good um, slides up here for you. Um, and so on September 15th, which is four days after Friday, we're going to have a, a simulcasted event called the Race for Unity. Bless you. And this event is going to be three and a half hours or so on a Saturday. The goal is for churches of different ethnicities to do it together. The reason I say different ethnicities is because there's so much segregation on Sunday. Uh, and that we have different ethnicity churches do it together because during this event, there will be a teaching, which will be expanded of what I said today. Today was a shorter version because it was time limited. And it will be expanded that. Then there will be a section on with small groups where we'll discuss race. And we'll get people in diverse uh, groups of six or seven. And we'll give you some questions and some guidelines so those conversations are safe. And no one, it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, argue time. It's going to be discovery time. 
Amen? Yeah. So we'll do that for about an hour and have some reflection on, uh, it'll be a good time to learn about people's uh, reality. And then the last section will be next steps. Next steps will be move past the conversation. We'll talk about ways we can continue to learn and grow together, visit each other's churches, go out to lunch and continue the conversation. Churches can go serve together. We'll equip you with things like that. Uh, we also have um, some organizations, a couple that will help continue to train churches and give you tools you can use to even work with the police if you have issues in your community with the police. The kind of church is starting an organization called Game Changer, and what they do is they get four or five police officers, law enforcement in a room, four or five people from the community, and, and it's a three-hour facilitated conversation about anything. Anything. And they argue, they fight, they, they disagree, and then they go to a, a sporting event and hang out. It's called Game Changer. The game changes everything. And so there's big cops in there and people from the community, you, you know, you guys are this, no, you guys are this, and you are, what about this, what about this? And it's facilitated, and then they go to the game, and they go, you know what? And they go hang out in the game and have a hot dog and realize they're just two people. And so the, 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 that program has gone national. It's Homeland Security, it's just... Uh, NBA, M NFL, Major League Baseball, all these companies uh, sponsored. So we're going to have that as well uh, as a tool for you to do in your community. Amen? Okay, so that's uh, September 15th. By the way, everybody in the conference, everybody in the conference, uh, by Friday, Jeremy, Friday they'll get, by Friday they'll get the email. By Friday you're going to get an email, and on the email is going to be the introduction and the first chapter of the book. And information on this event and how to do it. So you get that on Friday, hit the link, phone, there'll be a video, four minute video of me explaining it, and you can sign it right there and sign your church up. Uh, again, the goal is that you want to get other churches to do it with you, okay? Especially churches that are different. So here's a great excuse for you to go to a church that don't look like you and say, hey, can we do this together? Because we have to do we're better together, we can't do it by ourselves. Amen? Okay, great. Okay. Um, slide number one. The goal of all of this is to love like Jesus. Let's keep the eye on the ball. It's not about having, it is not about having a diverse church. It's not about that. It's about loving Jesus. Now, you want to be able to love everybody. You don't just want to be able to love people who would like you, who you like, right? Jesus said, if you love your friends, what good is that? A non-believer can do that. Okay, it's about loving people who have nothing in common, can't pay you back, can't make you look good, okay? So that's the goal. Can, are we agree with that? Yeah. I mean, not that you're going to disagree with that, but let's just keep that as the focus, <laughs> okay? Because if you disagree with that, then we got, we got a bigger problem. Okay, Matthew 22. Matthew 22, we know the verse, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your mind, and this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, honor. I talked about honor. The third option is the honor, to place a pri priceless value on everybody you see. This is the this is the whole this is the whole book. When I see somebody, I need to see the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. It says some people because of the way they look, I don't see the image of God. I see something scary. I see something I want to avoid. I see something I'm angry at. Something I'm resentful of. All these different <coughs> different feelings. <laughs> uh, you follow what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> no, I, I think you're taking a picture, right? Uh, so this is this is this is kind of the practical little twist on. Okay, we all want to love each other, but really, here's how I'm writing it: is that everybody you see, you need to say, I, I need to, I need to. God died for that person. Yeah. So I, their, their, their soul is that valuable to him? It's got to be that valuable to me. Yeah. Are you following me? Yeah. Okay. So the whole book is about what prevents me from doing that. Mm 
I'm mad. I judge you. I'm jealous of you. I'm scared of you. I've been hurt by somebody like you. There's all kinds of reasons. And so, but it doesn't matter. And when we talk about a lot of those things, and, and maybe, maybe I have a blind spot. We have two chapters on blind spots, and there's actually, we have one chapter with just nine of them. Uh, but maybe I think I'm doing that when I'm really not. Because I have a blind spot, I don't even realize it. Okay, so, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit, that, that's it. Next slide. Um, racism, three kinds, institutional racism, cultural systems designed to limit certain people, access to adequate education, employment, healthcare, food. Um, it, it'd be great for you to look up and study. I was talking to somebody here today and he said, and he's white, he said the number one thing, according to him, for white people, is that they don't get that part. It's like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see that there are systems that favor certain groups against other groups. And again, let me go back to the, remember the field trip thing I said about asking a white person to go someplace with the only white person? The two guys didn't do it. And he, he went on for five minutes on the phone why he wouldn't do it. He, he couldn't run real fast and he was going to be a chase and all this kind of <laughs> Yes, this is what he's telling me on the phone. <laughs> and by the way, this person, all of y'all have read a book that he has written. No. Yes. 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 So I said, listen, can you write me a paragraph on why you wouldn't go? And, and, and a month later, I still haven't received the paragraph. But he, he's a writer. So, your mouth is open, it's just shocked. Huh? So, so anyway, he wrote the paragraph and he said, you know, and, and it's in the book, and so he said, if I went to a black church, I would want to leave right away. I would feel very uncomfortable, blah, 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 blah. So here's the thing. Imagine if you're in power, and you make policy, and you want to make sure you will never be in that situation. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah, we are. That's how that stuff happens. Think about, think about when people were using crack and they were getting arrested for crack. Mm -hmm. yeah. And crack was mostly used by black people on high percentage of whites, and whites were using powder cocaine. Yet crack, the crack epidemic was led to a drug war where people went to prison. Cocaine, it was not so. Right now it's an opioid, opioid epidemic. We gotta get treatment, not jail. Why, what's the difference? It's the people using it. And so that's, that's, that's form of institutional. My, my sister, my sister uh, was gonna buy a house in Maryland, and when she got her real estate agent, uh, the real estate agent said to her, uh, we have to find an appropriate neighborhood for you. Mm. <laughs> so so that's, that's, that's institutional, those kind of things. Personally mediated, this is what we all think about when we think about racism. I don't like you because you're different than me. This is one, it should say mediated, not medicated. <laughs> I mean, it works, it works, right? <laughs> A person <is> medicated. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's my mistake. I, I, I spent, maybe, maybe I was medicated. I don't know. <laughs> so, that's what when people think of racism, that's what they think. But there's institutional, okay? Um, this is, this is what shapes culture, right here. But it's because of this, because yeah. people got issues. Yeah. This is invisible to a lot of people. Um, internalized racism. This is when people 
who have been discriminated against or have been fighting against these two for so long, they begin to internalize the message to themselves. People start to hate themselves. They turn their own people. They resent being what they are, their own culture. It's like if you think of a fish tank, let's say the fish tank's this big and in the middle is a piece of glass and there's water on both sides and there's fish over here and they keep bumping the glass and you take the glass out and they won't go past the middle anymore because they just got conditioned. It's not that, the other side of the fish tank doesn't fit for me. That's this internalized racism. My grandfather, who was from Jamaica, and um, he, my, my mother, who just passed, my mother used to tell me that he wanted to be white because his life was so hard. He said it would be just so much easier. I didn't know him. Um, I, I, he died when I was real little. Um, uh, or people just saying, you know, calling each other the name that their critics called them and saying they won't do anything in the same vein as what their critics say about them. Are you following what I'm saying? So that, that's another evil of racism where you poison someone's soul and then you can leave them alone and they'll just self-destruct. Yeah. How many of you white people in here, or anybody, how many of anybody heard the term the white man's ice is colder? Raise your hand real high. You heard it today. <laughs> You're 15. <laughs> Raise your hand real high if you've heard that. Five people. Uh, what that means is that culture... The right-handed culture. <laughs> Did that open your eyes up to something today? Yeah. The right-handed culture says right-handed is better. So if I want better, I want to get the right-handed man's ice, not my ice. Same ice. Ice is 32 degrees. Okay. Uh, do y'all know Michael Jr.? Yeah. Michael Jr. is a comedian, and, and he's, he's one of my best friends, and he has and, and he has a lot of racial jokes. Um, and uh, one of them is. At the end of his thing, he says, now they're going to bring out a white guy to validate everything. <laughs> but you get the point. Okay, so that's, that's um, that was uh, my, this goes to internalized racism. It's not going to, you know, until someone like that, the power of ARC and Pastor Greg allow us to do this, right? It's people who have a power to make open the door of opportunity. Okay. And so it's very important that um, we all work together. But this is when you feel like, I, I, you know, I'm helpless. I hate myself. Or, you know, I'm, I've been told on this all my life, so, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm that. Are you following me? Okay, next one. Um, we cannot do this alone. Let us consider one another in order to serve love and good works. Um, you can't do it by yourself. You're going to have to do this in context of relationship with people. Um, social narrative. Okay. So, your social narrative is, next slide, your social narrative, <laughs> the story that shapes how you see yourself, those around you, and how you believe that they will treat you, it influences how you act and believe others will treat you. And your social narrative is, uh, when we did a staff meeting on race, I asked the, the people in the room, we sat them in tables, five or six people, and said, tell Answer these questions. When's the first time you realize your race? Usually it was around when someone called you a name. Number two, what did your... You're from Stovall's Church, right? I am. I've been looking at you for two days saying, where do I know her from? How you doing, girl? <laughs> you try to sneak in here. Um, uh, um, 
What, when's the first time you realized your race? And what did you learn about other people's races from your family? I mean, think about it. What's your grand? Y'all's parents, and, and, and if your grandparents are alive, especially y'all's parents, that was a whole nother Archie Bunker era. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> Archie Bunker, the Jeffersons, that was like straight up, y'all over there, we're over here, and they call each other's names and all kind of stuff. And that's part of your story. And it's very important for you to know your story. It's very important for you to know this. Your story is not the whole story. Yeah. Nobody's story is. Only Jesus has a whole story. Yeah. Right? And you're always learning. When I, I first wrote the first draft, well, we had many drafts, but one of the early, well, one of the later drafts, I had a lady at my church read it by just happened to come into my green room and I said, hey, I write this book. And she read it and she says, uh, this is not what you want to put out. I said, what do you mean? She says, this is not, I know you, that's not you. That's the anger. Now, the anger, the frustration was real. I didn't realize how bad it was. But it was part of my, it was like, I'm, I'm going to say it now. I really wasn't thinking that totally. And she said, no, you, 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 you this isn't past the miles. And I say that to say that we all have a history that God needs to deal with. Yes. God needs to deal with that, and he did. Yes. Uh, but we have a history. You need to know what your history is. So it, it would be a, a challenge, an interesting experiment for you to write down, here's what I was told about black people, white people, Hispanic people, Muslims. And remember, our group, if you do not know a bunch of people personally, you have really bad information. Yeah. And if you were to write it down and say, here's what I think, right? You were like, what am I? And you might even write down, you don't know anything. What do you know about Muslims? What do you know about people from Iraq? And where do you know it? From TV? You don't know nothing. We have, we have, uh, we're right next to Mexico in San Diego. We have um, people who live in the canyons, immigrants that live in the canyons, they work. And I just want you to think of it, forget the politics because your brain is gonna go straight to politics and doc and all that kind of stuff. Forget that for a minute. These are human beings living, trying to survive. Survive. I'm so sorry. You are totally right. Because I just went to a trip in March with my husband. He Where you from, girl? You know, from right? New York. <laughs> you from New York? That's why you interrupted my talk. <laughs> This is New York culture right now. Because this girl can just straight up roll her neck at me. Are you going to Dominican. Dominican, okay. Come on now. She's like, you are exactly right, boy. Talk to me. I'm sorry. What's your name? Leslie. Leslie. I'm going to ask you. Si. Si. Soy Camilo. So what's up, Leslie? Tell, ask your question. We got time. I wasn't a question. It was a <laughs> you, she was like this. You are exactly right. I was like, I was like oh yeah, we got a live one over here. <laughs> so go ahead, make your statement. I'm sorry. <laughs> now you made me 
what you're saying. Like, you think that you see, like... That's oh. why I got the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't know people, like, from Iraq, as if you mentioned that. I just went to um, Kuwait. They're not the people you see on the on the TV. They're totally, totally different. I mean, the, the experience I just had, it was like, you, you put in your mind what you see on TV. They're not what you see on TV. They're totally, totally different. I mean, the, the, the matter of the fact that they, their culture is totally different. Yes, you get it, I get it. But, I'm sorry, I just, I just got so hard. But, I mean, it's just that the way they touch, you know, it's different. The way they dress is different than you. The man see you different, of course, because that's not how you dress it. The women are different. But they're people. The people. They're people. They, yes, they are. And just because they're di they're a different religion, you are too. You have your different religion, but they're people. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then we go back to honor the priceless value for you to see somebody. I, when I went to Israel, <laughs> when I went to Israel, I was walking around the old city, I, and I love people, like people. And I was in the old city. I was like, I'm gonna go. I gotta. I need to find someone to talk to. And I went to this little clothes shop, and there was a dude in there. He was like a Carl Lentz dude. He was all smooth. And, and I was like, Brother, we need to talk. Let's talk. And I said, Let's sit down. He said, Let me get you something. He went back, got me this little cup of. Does anybody know what that little coffee thing is? Yeah. Turkish, Turkish coffee. Turkish coffee, mush. It was like, and I wasn't a coffee drinker at the time. I was like, Whoa, you trying to drug me? <laughs> And we sat on the curb and we laughed and we talked about Muslims, we talked about, I said, tell me about your life, like, you guys, how strict is your religion, because this is what we hear here, and like, you, you don't mess around with women to get married, and he was like, no, nah, but let me tell you what it's really like, da, 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 da. but the point is, my point is that people, in, in San Diego, there are people who are walking down the street, working in the field, taking a bike, to work all day into the night, and they go back over the border. Forget your politics. That is a human being with a life that is insanely difficult. Yeah. Insanely, and how judgmental and arrogant for a believer to not see pain and want to help that person and, and love on that person. Your politics, let me tell you something, that's the arrogance of the United States of America. I was born here, we're the better country, you need to get out, blah, 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 versus, listen, there's laws, I get all that, but my point is that who are you, 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 you had nothing to do with where you were born. Yeah. You be thankful for God yeah. that you yeah. have what you have. And so, I guess my point is going back to that's your social narrative. If your social narrative tells you you're here, these people are here, these people are here, this makes importance, that's, you need to know that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've been poisoned, and how you've been poisoned, it may be a harsh word, because it may come back to your parents or whatever, but they, they were told what they were told. They told you what they were told in their culture. Now, your testimony is your biblical spiritual narrative. Right? Your social narrative is what your friends, blah, blah, blah. But your testimony is what God has done in your life. Those are two different things. Yeah. So it's very important for you to know this as, as it pertains to race or gender, whatever, whatever. We did, we, in our staff meeting, we did a, we, we've done these exercises in our staff meeting. And we had two young ladies, both white, at a table. And we were talking about unconscious bias, I think it was. And one lady said, she grew up in a rich family. She said, I had bias against poor people. I thought they were lazy. She's saying this to our staff about this employee. 
Oh, I know. <laughs> We're all like, what? And then the girl, the other girl said, I grew up poor and I, I know all rich people, blah, blah, blah. Yep, amen. Okay, that's what they talk. <laughs> next one. <laughs> Social reinforcement. These are the people who you hang out with that believe the same thing you believe and reinforce and tell you that you're right and therefore you guys believe you're right. Yeah, right. Which is just insane. Yeah. This is the blind leading the blind. Yeah. So think about the people in your life and what they believe in. The, and think about, you know, there's a chapter in the book called brother, My Brother's Brother's Sister's Keeper uh, that we have to hold each other accountable to honor and what y'all say behind closed doors when no one's around. Yeah. Yeah. That's white people talk about black people, black people talk about white people. <laughs> talk about you can talk all the spiritual stuff you want. Y'all talk. We talk. Can I get amen? amen? You know, some of y'all are like, I don't want to say amen. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's biased. I don't care. I don't care. Everyone's biased. And some people, some, and, and by the way, some people in uh, some lot, I don't know, are straight up racist. They're ignorant. I have friends that are dear, 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 dear friends. I, I would say they're just really dumb. I don't want to say they're racist, but they're really ignorant. And it's really sad. Because they're very intelligent, successful people. I was like, you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I had a guy, I was talking to a guy about Black Lives Matter once. I'm not going to get into all Black Lives Matter, but this particular thing was very wrong. He says they believe that they are better than everybody else. I said, what do you get that from? I said, does it say black lives are better? He said, no. Has it, have you ever heard anybody say that? No. So where do you get that? It's just the way it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. And, and so we believe stuff and we reinforce it and it's from the pit of hell. And so you want to ask yourself, who are you talking to? Okay. Next one. Uh, unconscious bias. So this refers to biases we have of which we are not in conscious control. These biases occur automatically, triggered by our brain, making quick judgments and assessments of people, situations based on background, cultural environment, and our experiences. Um, you're walking down the street, you see someone that looks a certain way, and subconsciously you, you have learned to fear them. You've yeah. learned to avoid them. You've learned to trust them. Um, uh, it's unconscious. You don't even know you do it, and it's, it's based on input from TV, from your family, from your upbringing, um, or, well, all of that. And sometimes it is conscious, but we all have unconscious bias. There's a, a matter of fact, there's an implicit bias test you could take. Harvard's been using it for a long time, and it's also in the book. Um, uh, and you can find out, you know, what your unconscious bias is. By the way, people in this country, uh, both black and white, have more... Um, Unconscious fear towards dark people than like people. Yeah, sure. White people more so than, than black people, but black people have it as well. Um, and part of what shapes this is media, what you are taught, or what you see, and what you're told. Um, uh, so, but anyway, but it's important to know that you have unconscious bias. It's important to know you have input from your family, from media. All that is shaping you and our culture and our right-handed culture news that, and the media that will tell you what it wants to tell you. Um, it's, 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 it, and so all that shapes how you view people. And by the way, we go back to the very first slide. You don't have to put it up there, but the very first slide is how do I love Jesus better? So I need to know what, what negative input I'm getting that's preventing me from loving people like Jesus. Yeah. Amen? 
Okay, next one. Uh, intent versus impact. Your intent is your status, stated intent or belief system. The impact is the effect or impact of your actions uh, that your actions have on those who experience it. My grammar's not getting ready to get. Here's the example. Uh, I think all people are equal. And I have no bias. But then I say things that offend people. So the difference between your intent and your impact is your blind spot. Right? So people say, oh, I, I'm not racist. I love all people. I have a black friend. So, I mean, and you, might, you may be wondering, what, why is that offensive to people? It's not. It's not offensive. It's just like it's like saying you have a black friend. So that means you know all this other stuff. That means that you, because you have a black friend, which we don't even know what that really means. Is it a is it a guy who you have in your life so you can say he's your friend? Would he say he's your friend? Have you ever been to his house? You been to his neighborhood? You know anything about his family? Yeah. Do you, do you, have you ever asked him, uh, do you know his struggles, his dreams? Or is he just a black guy that you know because he's a waiter at the restaurant where you go and you talk to him all the time? <laughs> what does that mean? And so you want to be, you want to, you want to just understand, I have an intent. What is my intent? Our intent should be to love everybody as Jesus does. That's how it should be our intent. Our impact is, well, maybe am I really doing that? You might want to start with your family. Does your own family say you love them like Jesus? Your own wife and your own kids. You know, start there. Okay, next one. Okay, this is a term that uh, is offensive to some people. Um, there was a lady named Robin D'Angelo who, who coined this term. And his wife, Agility, says, it is a state in which even a minimal amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggered, arranged defensive responses. Like, I don't see color. I have a black friend. I love everybody the same. Uh, um... Black people don't have for this kind of fragility because we talk about it all the time. So we're not, we're cool. Um, doesn't mean that we're f f superior at all. It's just a unique to people who don't deal with, who dealing with race is different and new. And one of the things that cause white fragility is that white people feel, and rightfully so, sometimes they're always gonna be attacked and there's nothing they can say is right and they're gonna always say something wrong so they feel like, why even bother? I get that. Can I get an amen by the summer white people? Y'all like, yeah, I can say amen to that one. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons that the whole thing about um, white is a color is um, today, it's so important to, we all have to be included together. Amen? Um, why is this important? Because if you, you might have felt this and never named it and just, I'm not dealing with that and just avoided situations because you don't want to feel this way. Fine, but if you're really going to love people and be able to have conversations with people, you don't want to live avoiding <laughs> with this cloud over your head. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you can have conversations and the more you can get to know people and the more you can to learn how to, and, and break the ice and realize, to say this bluntly, black people are not going to fight you. We want to get along. Yeah. Or, or, or brown people. We, it's, it's, it's not the scary message of the social narrative of a lot of people. It's just not true. If it was true, we'd be riding, riding everywhere 
for all long time. Right. And, and, and so um, this is something that you have to say, okay, how do I deal with this? I gotta have conversations. I gotta get people in my life and talk. I have to get people in my life and have conversations and learn and learn about people and learn to deal with what I'm fearing. What is my social narrative told me I need to avoid a fear and I need to deal with that. I went to Canada. Uh, what's the, okay, I went to Canada, Calgary, to do an event a long time ago and I had to go back there five, six, seven times. And is anybody here from Canada? Nobody? Um, I, I was dealing with mostly white people up there, but they have blacks in, in the, you know, a bunch of nationalities, very uh, international. And I was like, these white people are different. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And it hit me. They didn't have the legacy of slavery there. Let me explain what that means. Slavery happened, and, and, and many of y'all probably heard, well, why do you keep bringing up slavery? Let me tell you why. Slavery happened, so the first whatever hundred years of slavery Blacks were oppressed. Like when they got freed, four million employees walked off the job. So they said, "Man, what are we gonna do?" So they started convict leasing, where they could arrest them and then hire them out. Thirteenth Amendment said you can't have a slave in America unless they're in prison. Did y'all know that? Yep. That's why we have mass incarceration because they're working, they're making money, billions of dollars. Yes, yes. You need to watch the 13, documentary 13. You need, how many of you have never seen the 13? 13. You never seen it? Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, no. How many of you have not seen that, that documentary? Okay. One, three, 13th Amendment, and the guy and the image is gonna be a guy in a black and white striped prison suit. Uh, it's a documentary, I think it's 99 minutes. Netflix. Excuse me? Netflix. Netflix. So Netflix. Yeah. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. Okay? Prison is a multi-billion dollar business. You can't have a multi-billion dollar business without customers. Right. And those customers are inmates. Right. So you had slavery, comic leasing, Jim Crow, mass incarceration. Um, and you will see the business behind arresting a lot of people and the logic behind figuring out a way to arrest a lot of people. And by the way, when you, when you get out of prison as a felon, you have up to 48,000 restrictions on your life for life. Yeah. Did y'all know that? So when you, when you get out of prison, you are no longer a full-fledged U.S. citizen. So there are millions of people, most people of color, who are not full citizens. And yet, people say, well, why can't they use I work hard? Okay. Well, not only were they left-handed, now they're left-handed with no fingers. Yeah. They served their time. Yeah. Okay. So that's a whole other institutional situation. Okay. Um, I, went to, I, went to, so, Canada. Yes, Canada. Here, <laughs> I'm tracking, I'm tracking. Here, where are you from? Who said that? Uh, where are you from? I, I can hear you say Canada. I heard it. No, it, was, it was just like that sweet silly Canada. <laughs> um, here, there is a fragility, nervousness sometimes, uncomfortableness, even to have a conversation. Yeah. I want to tell you something. When we talk to some white people, they are nervous to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Do y'all do y'all believe that? Yes. So it's like we just talk. It's like well, it's like awkwardness, and it's like I'm not I'm not gonna do anything to you, right? I was in Canada. I was like this. this it's not there, and I figured out what it was. The reason I'm telling you the story is because I didn't even know this term at that time. This issue was it wasn't there. Imagine if you could eliminate that from your life, where you understood the burden of people. Of all, you know, all the issues people deal with, and be able to say, "I'm going to treat you just. I'm going to be as comfortable with you as I am with people like me." That's why it's important to know this. This is not. Uh, this is not who you are. It may be something you're dealing with now, yeah. but it's not who you are. Yeah. You can deal with this, but if you don't know it, you're not going to deal with it. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. We have one half hour. Bishop, we'll come forward. Bishop George, uh, we are going to. Do Q&A for whatever you want to talk about. Does this stuff make sense to you? Yes. Okay, very good. Yes, ma'am. Yes. When we're doing small groups in our church, we have people that, you know, they're... Can you stand, please? Yes, sir. They have a microphone right behind you. They're all athletes, and so they'll all want to be in an athlete small group, or they're all in this community. So when it comes to race, how much should you push people to step out of their in-group when it comes to small group communities? Or is it honoring just to say, yeah, it makes sense. This is your community. These are your people. We're not going to try to yeah. push it. Well, athletes are different because we are a superior breed of <laughs> <laughs> So you leave them alone. Because you know, it's, it's, it's hard because um, uh, this is in your church. Give me an example how the people of color say they want to be with themselves. We'll just start different small groups, and all the black people want to be in a life group with other black people. Yeah. And then all the white people end up in a life group with the white people. So we look and see that there's no diversity right. happening in our life groups, even if there is some diversity happening in our church. Yeah, and we yeah. don't know if that's okay or not. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's hard to legislate mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Because it may be a time, hey, mm -hmm. we're like, we're, we're, we're some of the few art brothers here, right? <laughs> so we got to get, hey, brother, how's it going over there? You <laughs> I didn't read you. <laughs> and, and, and can you imagine someone say, hey, y'all can't talk? No, it's like, come on now. So I, I wouldn't overthink that. However, mm -hmm. what you could do is say, uh, let's have some united things together. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's things they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, there's things we want to talk about. Um, so I, would, I wouldn't. That's all. Yes, ma'am. Let me add to that. Oh, you want to answer? Do we have another mic? Oh, you only have one, one? Okay. I think the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that human nature, we all tend to gravitate to what we're comfortable to. And so you, you don't want to force, you know, uh, relationships and, and, and grouping that is, is extremely uncomfortable. I think the real goal is, how do I help my church become more comfortable with people who are not from the same race, that have the same in-group naturally? And, and as, as you break down that barrier, then then people will be more comfortable on their own. Right. You won't even you won't even have to force the issue. 
you want it black or white, whatever, they're, they're going to naturally want to, to, especially with small group, because part of the heart of small group is you want people to do life together. And it's hard to do life together if we're not comfortable. So I think that the first step before you kind of try to legislate, you know, let's mix these groups up some, let's, let's address the reasons why we have the biases that may lead to discomfort. And if you address the biases that lead to discomfort and really start to uh, generate a very organic comfort, you know, between racial groups and things like that, then you'll start to have those groups form on their own. They'll yeah. be very diverse on their own. Yeah. This brother's so smart right here. I love this dude. I mean, I just begin to know him for like three months. Yes, sir. Uh, what advice would you give? Uh, being, just go ahead. Yeah, say it. Um, being an African-American pastor, desiring your congregation to be more diverse. We have diversity in our congregation, not nearly what I desire to see. And uh, what I've seen a lot of, and it's been difficult to find a model, especially in the Deep South, of an African-American pastor mm -hmm. being yeah. able to see that happen. You see churches who are multicultural, it generally is white-led because African-Americans are trained to be okay with that. Yep. But trying to push through those barriers of being a black pastor as the lead pastor and ushering in white people. Just so y'all know, white people are very hesitant to follow a black person. Amen. So just know that we know that. You might not think that, <laughs> but that's a reality to us. That's why when Greg asked us to teach him, it, it was very hard for, it, I can speak to George, it was very hard for me to have an audience where I could tell people about racism and they believe me. Right, so just think of all your life. I'm a grown man. I'm 58 years old. I have a church, you know, a bigger church in San Diego. I still deal with it. Right, so you have you you have to re realize and just accept that that's them not wanting to come, and you do the best you can with what you have, and just develop relationships, and not get so hung up on and for any other pastors of I mean, not get hung up on having people in the room. Versus ministering to those people, because you can have a bunch of nationalities in your in your house in your church. You're not ministering to them, so you want to minister to them. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Hey, Pastor. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's loud. It's back here. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, thank you guys for coming. My name is Martin. I'm from Canton, Ohio. I actually moved to Columbus. But anyways, um, I have a question. My question would be pretty much when something of or when a racial issue comes up in our country, whether it is. Uh, the shooting, cops shooting another person, or just the things that's been going on the past few years. Um, how do you guys handle that? Or how would you encourage us to handle that as pastors and leaders in our social media, in our conversations, uh, on a pulpit? Um, it's kind of one of the things that I like for you. Kind of a question, I guess. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> like, what's the best way to be able to to handle that? Where we are in a place where there's grace, there's love, there's understanding. Uh, and we're helping people grow on this issue uh, of racism. Remember, it's us and them, so when a shooting happens, right. it's either you're against or for the police right. automatically. The police are always wrong. And right. for, from, for some people, mm -hmm. and for some people, the police are right. right. My son's a cop, full disclosure, my son's SWAT in San Diego. My dad was a cop for 30 years in New York City. My dad arrested cops. So I got, I got all of it. I, I get it. It's just the cops are humans, they do right and wrong. But we're pastors. Someone gets killed. I went, we had a guy shot in our city. Someone and it was on the news every day. They videotaped it. He's in the parking lot, pointing a vape at the cop. The cop shot him. Everybody's city's divided. And they said, "What do you think?" I said, "What I saw was a mother's heart die in a parking lot. That's what it was. You know, you have a baby. It's the first time your heart lives outside your body, and this a soul went into eternity. So can we pray for the family?" Yeah. Yeah. 
your pastor. You don't want to have to be trying to divide mm -hmm. people. You want to minister to the pain. Mm -hmm. So that's my answer. Mm -hmm. I'll let you get to the next question. Do you see a role in the local church for combating institutional racism? And if there is a role, what does that look like on a tangible, practical level? <laughs> We're going to try to answer these questions first so we can get all of them. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Justice is God's idea, right? He's the God of justice. So it's a matter of getting people voted who, mm -hmm. uh, it's a matter of getting people's hearts changed. Because the policies without a heart change is just really a one bad policy for another bad policy that favors different people. So, you know, Democrat and Republican is we want to favor these people, we want to favor these people. None of it's we want to honor God. Mm -hmm. Sorry for whoever or whatever y'all believe. Okay, because it's really politics. It's not God, it's not church. So it's really about helping people understand how systems work and the politics work and get godly people in. Mm -hmm. the, the Bible says that the devil is the, the, the principality of the air. Right. He, he's, he, right? he's the power. He's the, he is in power on the world. So when you become president or governor, you step into a seat that is controlled by the devil. Mm -hmm. The system is satanic. Mm -hmm. So it's even if you're a believer, you can do some good and make laws, but you're stepping into a cesspool of evil. So right. it's really getting people involved in that process. Can I add you? Uh, oh, now you want to die. Now you've done the hard part. Let me finish it up. <laughs> not only do I think that, you know, though, that we, 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 should, we, we should consider, you know, kind of how, how can we be a part. I actually think we do have a responsibility. You know, for us to claim to be uh, salt and light, that can't just be in sharing the gospel. Um, I mean, the reality is that the reason why politics are evil is because you have evil people running. Um, I do think that you know we ought to be on all the seven mountains of influence. You know, as believers, we, I mean, we 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 don't want to just have believers that the only place we influence is in church, or the only place we influence is in in helping people with their families. I personally, we need to have believers in entertainment. We need to have believers in the media, and everybody's calling and say something. We, we've esteemed the callings of pastors and prophets and evangelists, which is great. But there's some people who are called to the political arena. There's some people who are called to the entertainment arena, and there's some people who are called like now to the to the sports arena. And so I think what it depend upon what your calling and your passion is, we need to go hard after being representatives for Christ in that environment. You know, Pastor Chris Hodges wrote, just wrote a book, The Daniel Dilemma, which if, if you haven't read, I think it's, 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 it's a must read because it helps us understand how do we, you know, still love like Christ, but hold up a godly standard. And I think that helps us to understand how do we influence the institutional side of racism while still maintaining the, the heart and love of Christ. Okay, uh, hi, I'm Kiplin from Jamaica. So I've Jamaica, my mind. Oh, my boy. Where is Jamaica? I'm actually living in Dallas, but I'm originally from Jamaica. Where? Um, Kingston and Kingston. Spanish Town. Where are you from? No, I, my father grew up in Kingston. Oh, Kingston. Okay. Kingston. 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 <laughs> All right, so being an outsider, when I came into this country 15 years ago, I studied in Florida and I noticed a few things. One of them being the fact that Coming from Jamaica, we're all Jamaicans. We have Chinese Jamaicans, we have Indian Jamaicans, and we never define them by you know, where the ancestors are coming from. So I found it very strange when I came in this country, and instead of people saying Americans, I always heard African Americans. Remember, 
in Jamaica, we have Chinese, but we don't say Chinese, Chinese Jamaica. This is what I'm saying? You may have a few who say, but it's not a cultural thing. We all identify as Jamaicans. What's your, what's your question? So, I'll, so my question is, I'd like for you to expound on, on language, the use of language, because I think that's, that's part of the... The, 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 the racial divide, the use of language. You, you want me to you want me to pontificate on the lexicon of the United States of America? <laughs> I can't do that. I'm gonna tell you, my grandmother, my grandmother was half Chinese and half black. My grandmother's father, Mr. Wong from China. Mr. Wong came to Jamaica and got jungle fever. Y'all know what jungle fever? Is? <laughs> Does anybody not know what jungle fever is? You don't want to say now. You don't want to say now. So that's, that's my grandmother, she's half Chinese. And um, uh, so I'm aware of that. People here, when you call people black, or the N-word, what was, what was a distinguishable title we could have? African-American. And so, you know, one of the reasons you have black is beautiful because you were told black was ugly. That's why it is. The reason you have black chamber of commerce is because the white chamber of commerce wouldn't let you in. The reason you have black colleges is because the black white colleges wouldn't let you in. Mm -hmm. yeah. So black you got to understand month. where that stuff, huh? Black History Month. Black History Month. Yeah. You, you had no, it was right. just, that's why you didn't have white history. You just had history because it was white. <laughs> you didn't have to call it white history because it was white. <laughs> so that's why you had black history. So unless you, you have to understand though where you came from to get those titles and now people, why you got to have black? Why you have black? Well, you didn't let us have this other stuff. So that's why. And so, uh, there's a lot of division here, there's a lot of oppression of, a, of all immigrants that came here. Said, so you beat you down, beat you down, beat, change your name, we're not gonna call you brother or sister, we're not gonna give you dignity, no, we're gonna give ourselves a dignity by giving ourselves a name. So that, that's, anybody else? Yes, sir. Um, as a man in a uh, interracial relationship, right? This is my girlfriend. Awesome. Um, Y'all are married? Not yet. So I want to see some. some <laughs> We're all watching you, man. Yeah, yeah, And I see myself um, as a pastor, you know, soon in the future. How do you? combat the racial tension and being in a biracial relationship or an yeah. interracial relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first let me say there's one race. But just let me reinforce that one race. And I would just love it at that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. people, you, people are always going to be tripping. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was talking about when I'm coming up here with a guy. He says, you know, how do I, how do I deal with my sons? I don't want my sons. How do I deal with them? They're going to be treated this way. I said, tell them they're going to be treated that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So get them tough because yeah. it's like almost like saying people are going to be jealous. How do I prepare you? How do I prepare my sons to, to not see it? No, they're going to have to know how to deal with jealousy at them and right. jealous and, and, and be at them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would just love her to death, be an example to to all the fools that are going to be attacking you, and they're yeah. going to say, you know, thirty years from now, when you got four kids and you got grandkids, and, you, mm -hmm. and they all look smooth like me because they're really good. <laughs> They got that tan, that nice little brown tan, that nice little kinky hair, the little, and everybody wants to go to the, to the, to the hair parlor again. They're going to be like so jealous. They'll be like, I wish I had that. That's what I'm going to say. Let me add to that, Miles. 
there it is here. <laughs> I do think though that that you do need to make sure you prepare yourselves. Yeah. So I think you know we we can rush into something blindly and naively and. Uh, my, my mindset, I have three children, uh, my wife and I have three children, I could care less, they bring home a black person, white person, Hispanic person, Asian, that really wouldn't matter. I want to know, do they love Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do they love my kid? Yeah. And do they love my kid's daddy? Come on, say amen. Yeah. But I would, if, if, my, if, my, if either one of my children came home with someone of a, of a different ethnic background, I, it wouldn't bother us at all, but we would help to prepare them. Right. Because you, we do still live in a, 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 a time of, of ignorance. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that you draw a circle around yourselves right. so that you don't allow ignorance from the outside to be something that puts a wedge between the two of you. Right. And so I think that is something that sometimes we underestimate. Mm -hmm just how much pressure the outside can put on a relationship. And I, and I would say that if, you, if you're African-American and Caucasian, or if you were 15 years older than her or something like that, if there is some significant difference from the, the cultural norm, then you do have to make sure you properly prepare yourself so that the pressure from the outside doesn't become something that destroys. I mean, you may you all may love each other, but then the pressure from the outside, sometimes the outside can be people you love, parents, you know, your best friend from college who doesn't understand or, or has different thoughts, as long as the two of you put a circle around yourself so you don't let the outside destroy what you created, then you'll be fine. Yeah, that's good. Do you see the pattern between me and him? So I'm walking around, I'm all answering the question, he just sits there like this. That's personality. He has a microphone. Uh, so just real quick, I, I gotta catch you up to where I am before I can ask my question. I was um, where I grew up and where I live now, moved back to, started church, planted church, and God's blessed the church is 99.95% uh, Caucasian, white, whatever you want to say. Wow. How, however, <laughs> however, hold on just a minute. Give me just, I got a sister that's half black, so, you know, I got to identify with you. So let me get there. So I got a black friend, and it means my sister. So, so, so my my sister literally is mixed, and we we grew up, and I'm two years older than her. But until I was eight years old, I knew I didn't even know, I mean, honest to goodness, like what a black person was. Like we didn't like even now. You have to drive 20 miles to mm -hmm. to be. I mean, that's that's just where I am. Yeah. But so my mom, because of the shame and all the things, I guess I guess for her, I don't know. I, I still ask her this question. Always told us that she just kept a good tan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let me get this straight. Your mom had a baby from a black dude, and that's your sister. That's my sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it a? Okay. No, no, it wasn't planned. It was kind of. Oh, I, I say it wasn't planned. I don't know. She's kind of. No, she's shady about no, it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it an affair or was it before she got married? No, it was an affair. Okay, it was an affair. But my dad, because he loved Jesus, mm -hmm. loved my sister. That's good. And never, the, until I was eight years old, we never knew anything any different. I'm, I'm tell, I didn't know. We always were told she had a good tan and she kept a good tan. She does have a good tan. Yeah, she does. So, 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 so I'm going to school. So, so she starts coming to the school that I'm coming to and 
everybody begins to say, hey, she's not like us. Right. And so th at that point, my dad took us into a room and said, hey, i got to tell you all something. Explained it. Yeah, and explained it to us. I guess my question, what leads me to the question, um, how do, because I have a, God's given me some influence in my town in what we're doing. How do I, as a pastor, who don't have the opportunity, it would be very hard for anybody of distinction, is that a better word, to come, to come, to come. I don't know what the best word is. I'm not going to be able to influence that. I'm not going to have a, a interracial congregation. Gotcha. But I want to educate my congregation that when they, because they're going to leave my teenagers, my group of 100 youth guys, are going to leave and go live life in the world, and I don't want them to be ignorant right. as I was ignorant. Is your sister still there in town? Yeah, she yeah she sings on a praise team. She's the only one though. I mean, she's. <laughs> but, but people, but she she has such. I mean, like she she has such. People love her. I mean, it's just. But that's the only one. I just I don't know how to I don't know how to. You go answer the question. <laughs> I just want to be an influence, I guess. Uh, the, the reality is you have to start where you are. I mean, you, can't, you can't import in some blacks to kind of come to help. <laughs> you start where you are. And, and, and when your heart is right, and, and, and the heart behind this is to love like Jesus. When your heart is right and you really want to educate the people that you're called to serve so that we don't leave our leave our leave the comforts of our church services on Sunday and go out and say ignorant things and do ignorant things, then you, you figure out how do you have that conversation amongst even a 99.95% you know, white congregation because at the end of the day, it's not a matter of uh, it's better when you can have others that are, are not like you ethnically who can add to the conversation. But at the very least, we can address the fact of what Miles already showed us. We have biases. Yes. All of us have biases. And if we can start there with addressing those biases, it'll, help to, it'll start to break down the, the fears that we have kind of concocted in our own minds. I, I would recommend, though, you know, if, I mean, if, if it's 20 miles away, if there's a, a black pastor that you can partner with, because if he's got a 99.9% .9 black church, they got the same issues yours do, just in reverse. And so being able to partner with somebody, even if it's a ways away. So it wouldn't be you busting them in, they bust themselves in. And then you all bust yourself to there. Yeah, they bust it to there. Because it'd be good to then, once you've started that conversation amongst your own your own congregation, to then be able to add perspective from, from someone who can, who can help you understand what you don't know. When we all met in Memphis and started this conversation, it was beautiful because we were able to share things that our white brothers didn't know, and they were honestly able to share some things and, and give some perspective that we didn't realize were, were not common knowledge. So I'd say start where you are and just let the conversation grow. We got six minutes, so let's do, I want, let's do three really quick. No, go ahead. Quick question. So what are you guys' thoughts on embracing ethnic movements? For example... Black Girl Magic. Okay. So, and... I literally do love everyone. <laughs> I am a worship leader, so I, I, I just love everyone, and I was raised diverse. But what are your thoughts on that? Like, I don't want to send off the wrong image, but I really do support the movement for black women for many reasons, and I actually um, feel like when I wear something that supports that movement, it opens up the avenue for somebody to ask the question, hey, why do you wear that? And I want to educate, but what are your thoughts on that? You know, so 
There's uh, someone on our staff who asked the question at staff meeting, is being pro-black anti-white? Mm -hmm. And I said to him, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it is. Yeah. So there's it, it really no black or white answer. <laughs> but I would tell you, you're, you're very uh, wise to know and to be aware of how it can be, look. Yes. And it depends on what it's about. Like if it's something that's anti-white, or derogatory or or exclusive, then you think, you know, this is kind of causing division. Um, you know, single de Mayo, you know, we, we, we celebrate single de Mayo, actually, but, but you, so, so, <laughs> some things are, we're celebrating something that people could say, that that's not anti, is we're just celebrating. And some people are never gonna get that, so it's just, it, there's no, I don't think it's a black or white answer. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yes, my name is Pastor Mary Pryor. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I know we, we've always had an issue with the black and white thing, but the problem that I see is black on black crime. I'm so tired of waking up and see our black babies killing one another. What can we do about that? Good. It's sad. Yeah, uh, let me say two things about black on black crime. Black people commit crimes against people they live around. Mm -hmm. So black people commit crimes against black people, white people kill white people, yeah. Yeah. Spanish yeah. kill Hispanics. Yeah. And so what you only hear is black on black crime. Now, it is a problem, but, but, but unfortunately, unfortunate. the other side to that is that it's true of every culture. And so, uh, now, to answer your question, uh, Jesus. Jesus. I mean, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus and the families, the families sticking together, Again, you, it's a, the other side says you got the incarceration issue, which is which is taking the men off the street yes. out of the families is a, is a, is a vicious cycle. If you know Exodus chapter, well Exodus when they killed all the baby boys because they were going to try to exterminate the Jews, it's similar to, to uh, black incarceration, black men incarceration. So it's a complicated answer. However, Jesus, the family, I would say, yes. Hi, my name is Lori. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. And the racial tension is really high there. Um, and you can feel it all over the place. And so I am, um, me and my husband were a biracial couple. And we, we planted the church about 15 years ago. And little by little, we're getting all different races coming in, which is great. I'm asking, I would love to understand, I guess I have two questions. How can we start to just bring people together to start having conversations, how our church can be more diverse and accepting. Um, that's one, it maybe we thought about like bringing a couple of them together, different races together, and just having open this conversation. And in your book, do you have any maybe dialogues on how to start doing that? I got this one, brother. <laughs> I think the first thing is, as Miles said earlier, no, don't approach it from the perspective of we're doing this for diversity's sake. Um, I'll approach it from the standpoint of we love people and and start where you are. You know, it, you know, it, use the the Acts one eight model. Start in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, the uttermost parts. So start with the people that you have right there. I mean, if you as pastor, start with your staff. 
Uh, and really, even before your staff, start with yourselves. You know, have some honest conversation. If you have some friends that you can bring into that conversation to help you see what you don't see, then it starts there. And then fan it out to your staff, fan it out to your dream team or your volunteer leadership, and allow that process to happen. And then, I mean, once you've gotten saturated to that level, I think something similar to what you saw happen today where somebody's able to lead a conversation and allow others to listen in. If it's a small enough group, you may be able to do some you know, questions and answers. You know, Miles got an amazing book coming out. Have everybody buy his book. Fly him in, come have him come and do a seminar for you. But have somebody that can help you lead that conversation. <laughs> help, help you lead that conversation and allow the people in your church to, to, really, to really get educated. I, I think the big part of the problem is, so much of it is not, in my humble opinion, is not so much, in the church at least, it's not malicious, it's ignorance. You know, it, 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 most, most of the hurt that we cause each other and the, the, the pain that we inflict, it's not because in the body of Christ we want to be mean or hurt each other, but we start from such a posture of ignorance because all I know is what I know. And if I don't ever expose myself to information that's going to challenge what I know or help to, to educate me better, then I'm going to continue acting out of that, that posture of ignorance. Uh, in September, we're going to have that event where you can do yeah. that. Okay. Perfect. I think we have one more because it's time. Who is the mic? Where do you want to go? <laughs> you don't put it on me. That lady right in front of you. This is the last one. I, I was just thinking since this morning while you were talking, um, I grew up one of five white kids in an all-black housing project in Pittsburgh. And I think that... Um, I'm very lucky that in my high school, because it was predominantly black, I was exposed to a lot of black history. And I think that that, and I don't know if you would agree, so I want your opinion on this. I think that white people educating themselves on black history is absolutely crucial to be able to have a conversation, just to understand where people are coming from. And also, I think in, in, an ex, in a way to organically have um, opened that conversation up, just in my experience, the block party brings a lot of people together over a good time and some food. You know? So you're making a statement. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah no, no, this. Yeah, that's a statement you're making, and I agree with that statement. I think, but even more, the history, even in addition to the history you're talking about, the history you got was their social narrative history. And to know how they act and, and respond and, and the, the daily experience they have. At the same time, meeting dudes that were getting in trouble or whatever and realize yeah. they're really nice people. Yeah. They just were had a bad hand. My, I, was, I played pop more football and there was two guys that we took my, 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 both my parents were together till my mother just passed away. They were together their whole lives. I went to Catholic school, private school for eight years. I went to high school, uh, my public high school. The guys we took to football practice, one guy had no parents. Ten years old, both his parents were dead. How do you do that? How do you do that? He, he has no parents. The other guy had one parent and his mother lived half, you know, 20 minutes away. I have no idea how they did it. And the one guy's name was Lorenzo. My father would cry. If I bring his name up, he would just drop his head. He, and he would always say he never had a chance. And he was true. But Lorenzo was like my brother. 
But in our neighborhood, he went to jail several times, he was on drugs, but he was, he had, and when he would see my father, he'd be on the corner drunk, smoking cigarette, whatever, and my father, he would be like this, how you doing, Mr. McPherson? And his eyes were saying, well, you, I need a dad. And so when you grew up, when you grew up, you know, met those people, they weren't the guy over there sagging that you had anecdotal information about. They were your friends. They were my sisters. They, right. Yeah. They and couldn't braid my hair, but they were my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't braid theirs. <laughs> but that's the history that you had that was even more valuable because you you can look at them and say, I, I get you. You're, you're not scary. Yeah. Anyway, God bless you. Listen, I, this is this is life-giving. Love y'all. I got to pray for y'all. I'll, I'll be you know, I'll be here until y'all want to talk because I go ahead. Lord, thank you for all these people. Thank you. I pray that you deposit something incredibly powerful in their life and that they take it back to their churches. I pray they all get the book. Yeah. They buy cases of books for their churches. And I pray on September 15th they get together and, and, and we have a, a good discussion and life-transforming event. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all.